0: I'm Chantelle, today we're going to be reading from two passages, so have your Bibles ready and we'll start off in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to start at the beginning, but first I'll just let you know this is 1500 years before Jesus, and the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Deuteronomy 8 from verse 1. Be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord, your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills. A land with wheat and barley, wines, sorry, vines and victories, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine, fine houses and you settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large, and your silver and your gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness something your ancestors had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you you say to yourself my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me but remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant Which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. The next chapter we're going to be reading from is the New Testament in Luke 4. Starting from the beginning again, Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant All the kingdoms of the world and he said to him I will give you all their authority and splendor it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to if you worship me it'll all be yours Jesus answered it is written worship the Lord your God and serve him only the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time.
1: Uh, thanks so much, Chantel. And uh, I'm not sure who the dog uh, was in the background, uh, but thanks for Pooch uh, adding some sound effects as well. Uh, I, uh, thanks for having me in your lounge room today or uh, whatever room you're casting this from. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to two Sundays time on the 31st of October, really looking forward to the opportunity for you all to gather and have a bit of a celebration, a kind of relaunch of our church. Uh, Today we're talking about temptation. And a few years back, uh, they did a big survey, the Barna Research Group did a massive survey across America of the temptations that Americans face. Uh, And here are the results. Uh, so they kind of uh, surveyed people in every state across the USA, uh, and so they said, you know, what are the big eng- what are the big um, temptations? And the the top one was worrying or anxiety. Uh, procrastinating was up there as well. Overeating, uh, spending too much time on TV or social media or in the internet, uh, laziness, uh, overspending money, gossip. Envy, pornography, lying, cheating, uh, abuse of alcohol or drugs, uh, angry emails, uh, and sexual immorality. It's interesting, uh, in the survey they found that there was, there was differences between men and women, uh, so uh, men were far more likely to struggle with pornography, uh, and women were more likely than men uh, to, ha- to struggle with gossip uh, and slander of others. Uh, and you'll notice uh, if you, on the survey, uh, l- most people have a number of those temptations. I wonder which ones you struggle with. As you look at that list, um, are there particular temptations that you have in your life? And has this last year of lockdown, uh, this last year and a half, has that changed things? Um, has isolation brought new temptations? And how are you going with that? Uh, Have you been able to remain strong or have you found that you've given in to temptation? Now, I'm really excited uh, to bring this passage to you this morning because what the passage does, what God's word does, is it takes us beyond symptoms and statistics It's not just good advice for dealing with temptation, it actually takes us to the heart of what's going on for us. What are are the deep fears and insecurities in us that lead to temptation? And God's word has really good news because it actually helps us deal with our temptation. To deal with it through forgiveness in our failure, but also to deal with it in terms of giving us a new mindset, a new will, a new strength to resist temptation. Uh, So it really is an awesome part of God's word to be wrestling with. We're in Luke's gospel, uh, the the last passage that Chantel read. Uh, And I want to start off setting the scene because we're introduced in Luke to Jesus, God's beloved son. So you might remember last week, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus uh, baptizing people, telling people to turn back to God, uh, and you know, baptized in the Jordan River. And now Jesus comes forth. In the middle of chapter three, Jesus comes forth to be baptized, uh, and he's, he's taken down into the water, he comes back up, and at that point he prays to heaven, and the heavens open. The Holy Spirit descends bodily like a dove on Jesus, and then a voice of affirmation comes through the clouds. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Uh, It's a beautiful declaration of God's fatherly tenderness and love and affection towards his son. Uh, It would have been a beautiful encouragement for Jesus personally, but also for the crowds listening in to actually hear this voice at the start of Jesus' ministry. It reminds us of Psalm 2, because in Psalm 2, which was written a thousand years before Jesus, God promised the coming Messiah would be filled with the Spirit of God, and God declares about the Messiah, you will be my son, and today I have become your father. There is this promise of a father-son intimate relationship between God and the Messiah next in Luke 3 we hear Jesus genealogy Uh, so it starts with Jesus the son of or so it was thought Joseph the son of Heli and and through the generations it goes you know the son of David the son of Abraham all the way down to verse 38 and notice how it ends the son of Adam the Son of God. It's like Luke wants to draw a contrast between the first man, Adam, and this new man, Jesus. Uh, So Adam was the man who had complete freedom uh, in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, and he had one command that God had given him. You must not eat the fruit from the middle of the garden, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will surely die. Uh, But complete freedom otherwise, and yet there along comes the devil and tempts him, uh, that God is ripping you off. God is trying to shortchange you. You'd be better off ignoring God, taking the fruit. It will bring you freedom and and, and a new power. Uh, And Adam caved in, and he led the rest of us, the whole human race, into sin. Now with Jesus, the new son of God, bursting onto the scene, is he going to be the new Adam? Is he going to lead us into a rescue from sin, just as Adam led us away from God into sin? Now the very next thing is God's Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And he is tempted by the devil for 40 days that's at the start of chapter 4 if you know your old testament you know that the nation of israel were called the son of god do you remember uh, god through the prophet moses goes to pharaoh and says let my firstborn son go so that they can worship me and pharaoh just stubbornly refused but israel with the firstborn son of god And God rescued them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, uh, where they would wander for the next 40 years. And during those 40 years, they caved into temptation again and again. Now, as Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness as the Son of God, is this like the new Israel? Will he succeed where the nation failed? Well, with those kind of questions, with that background going through our heads, we come to temptation number one, where Satan taps into Jesus' physical needs and desires. See, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days without food. I don't know how long you would go. How long do you think you could go without food? Uh, You know, I know I've done the 40-hour famine, Uh, And even then, you know, I'm tempted to kind of cheat or, you know, the number of barley sugars that I have, you know, just keeps increasing. Uh, And so that's hard enough, 40 hours, but 40 days. I just, I would feel so depleted and weak. And it's at this point, the devil comes along and says, verse three, if you are the son of God. See, notice it's all about Jesus, the son of God. Is he really the son of God? Will he succeed where the other sons of God have failed? If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And I think, why not? Uh, You know, Jesus has got the power to do it and he's hungry. There would be nothing stopping me just, you know, turning that stone into bread. This first temptation is about forgetting God's fatherly care. See, that's what Israel did in the wilderness. No sooner had God sent the plagues on Egypt, no sooner had he rescued them, and they'd come through the Red Sea. You know, the Red Sea had parted. Israel miraculously went through on dry ground. And then... Pharaoh and his armies, this is the world superpower at the moment, with all the chariots, they are engulfed in the waters of the Red Sea and Israel escaped to freedom. Uh, But no sooner had that happened, only after a day or two in the wilderness, they start grumbling. Uh, They start grumbling against Moses. Why did you bring us out here? They start grumbling against God. We would have been better off staying in Egypt. They literally said that. We were better off in Egypt. We had onions in Egypt. Can you believe they said that? Like onions, how good is that? Uh, But we had onions in Egypt. But they quickly forgot the horror of slavery, the misery, and they quickly forgot the wonders of God, his fatherly protection and power and care for them so jesus could easily have turned the stones into bread but he trusted god's fatherly goodness even when he was desperately hungry look at what he says verse 4 jesus answered it is written man shall not live on bread alone And at this point, you can see that Jesus has deeply fed on the word of God. And so the word of God is on his heart and on his lips. Jesus actually quotes Deuteronomy 8, that first passage Chantel read out. It's the very lesson God had wanted Israel to learn 1,500 years earlier in the wilderness. So have a look at Deuteronomy 8. Remember how God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart and to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son... So the Lord your God disciplines you. See, God did not abandon Israel in the wilderness for those 40 years. He was teaching them. He was training them to depend on him. Uh, He was training them to depend on him in hard times so that when days of prosperity came in in the promised land, they would not be so quick to forget God. So have a look at how Deuteronomy 8 continues. When you have eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful you do not forget the Lord your God. Moses was so aware of their tendency to forget, and he says it again and again. As you come into prosperity your heart will become proud, you'll forget the Lord your God, but remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so on. Never forget. But even after 40 years of learning the lesson day by day that we are utterly dependent on God and his care and his power, Israel failed to learn the lesson. They They failed to trust God in the wilderness. And so when they came into the prosperity of the promised land, they turned their backs on God completely. They, became, they felt entitled, proud, and they felt like they didn't need God. But Jesus, the faithful son of God, the new Israel, he trusts God even in the midst of adversity. So I want to ask, how do you hold up when you're tired, hungry, alone, in isolation? Uh, how do you hold up when you're emotionally drained? I know that I myself, I can feel so depleted of strength. Uh, surely that is when we are at our most vulnerable. You know, when, when we're feeling well and strong, uh, you know we can resist temptation, but when we're weak and tired and emotionally depleted, we just so easily cave in to temptation. We become impatient. We, we give in to our desires. Uh, we become profoundly self-centered uh, and we feel like everyone has let me down. God has let me down. And we go into that cycle of grumbling and complaining. And if we lose sight of God so quickly in the difficult times, then when we encounter prosperity like the nation we live in, we will will be tempted to forget God so quickly and become proud, entitled, and godless, just like Israel did. So... When we're tired, lonely, hungry, or in good times, let's never forget God. Let's never forget his fatherly care. Let's feed on his word so that we can draw strength from his promises, uh, so that we can remain obedient, so that we can trust him uh, in the midst of good times and bad There's the first temptation. Come on to the second temptation, verse five. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So often Satan's temptations they have a seed of truth because there is a there is a sense to which Satan is the ruler of our world uh, but it's the world is not his to give uh, and as the Son of God God has already promised to give Jesus all power, all might, all authority but, the pathway to glory for Jesus is suffering. It is really clear from the Old Testament that the Messiah must suffer first and then enter his glory. What the devil is offering is glory without the suffering. The the devil's offering Jesus the cross, the kingship without, sorry, the crown, the kingship without the cross and the suffering. Um, and I just got to say, the desire for a pain-free life, a life free of suffering, is so enticing, isn't it? I don't like pain, right? And, uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone, but when, when the threat of pain is there, we cave into temptation so quickly because... So often the temptation offers us a shortcut, a way out of suffering, a way out of pain, um, whether through binging or addiction, you know, those things we give ourselves to to distract us from the pain, or whether through the lies and the cheating and the, and the, the chasing after something, uh, what, we, what, we're do, what we're tempted to do is shortcut so that we avoid the suffering And we have it all without any need for the tough times. Temptation number two is about rejecting God's fatherly care. Rejecting God's way because God's way involves suffering and pain. Uh, The devil offers us a shortcut, but the price is rejecting God. And this will not be the only time Jesus felt this temptation. So there's a, really, there's a really odd moment uh, in the Gospels, and it's when Peter finally realises Jesus is the Messiah. You know, and Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah of God. And you could just go, hallelujah. He's finally worked it out, and, and Jesus praises him. Blessed are you, Simon Peter, because this hasn't been revealed to you, from, you know, by men this is a God-given revelation. Now, what's the very next thing Peter says? But you will not suffer. And at that point, Jesus comes back with the harshest rebuke, goes from the strongest praise, blessed are you, Simon Peter, to get behind me, Satan. And because, it's because what Peter is doing inadvertently, he didn't realise what he was doing, but what he's doing is he's saying to Jesus, you can have the cross... Sorry, you can have the crown, but you don't need to go through the cross. Uh, He's offering the satanic shortcut. But Jesus knows that God's path is suffering first, glory to follow. The cross was necessary before Jesus entered his glory. Uh, and Jesus has that same struggle, I'm sure, on the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he is like sweating drops of blood from his forehead. He's, just, he's, he's facing the dread of his own death under the wrath of God. And in that moment, he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me. But then Jesus adds those important words, yet not my will, but your will be done. He humbly entrusts himself into the care of his father. He would receive the crown, but only after suffering the cross. And thank God Jesus didn't cave in to temptation because his success deals with our failure. So, I want, to, I want to show you how that works. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. There's just some beautiful reflections that I hope you mark these parts of the Bible and come back to them again and again like I do. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. <clears> or <throat> well, Hebrews chapter 4. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let's then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the temptations Jesus faced means that he understands the temptations you face, the temptations I face. He understands our weakness. He knows what it is to, be, to feel the agonising hunger, that sense of your whole body demanding that you get some fuel on board. He knows what loneliness is like. He was so often abandoned Um, He knows what pain and suffering is like, but he didn't take the easy way out. He endured it all. He trusted God. And so he now is qualified to save us so that his success cleanses our failure. And he not only saves us, but he will listen to our cries for help and he will respond with compassion in our weakness. Uh, It is so good that Jesus didn't cave in. We come to temptation number three in verse nine. The devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, prove it. If you are the son of God, Satan said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now notice, the devil is quoting the Bible back at Jesus. And he's quoting the Bible well, in a sense, right? He's quoting Psalm 91, which is a passage about God's fatherly care for the Messiah, that God will care for, he will protect his Messiah. The Messiah is precious to God. And so the devil says, look, if you're the son of God, prove it to yourself, prove it to everyone else, throw yourself off the temple, and if you're the Son of God, God's angels will swoop in and they will catch you and protect you. And, and, and that would be a demonstration to the whole world that yes, you are the Son of God. I've called this temptation testing God's fatherly care. And notice Jesus' reply in verse 7. Jesus answered the devil. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test right. again, Jesus is drawing on the lessons Israel should have learned, but they fail to. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 6 do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's what Israel did in the wilderness again and again, they kept putting God to the test. God was so good to them, but they so quickly forgot. Um, now, have you ever been shopping with a a tired toddler, right? So, you know, if you've got a toddler under your care, as a parent, I've been in this situation many times, to have a hungry, tired toddler in the shopping centre with you. Do you know what that feels like? It is not fun, right? I love having kids, but that's the moment where you go, that is not fun. Um, Because if they see something they like, they demand it, right? Right? And so sometimes you sort of go, all right, okay, I'll give them an ice cream. But you know that, that that's, it's like a ticking time bomb, you know, because, you know, that little sugar, that little, uh, you know, satisfaction won't last too long, and then they'll demand something else. They'll see something, and they want it. And if they don't get it, they are quite willing to throw themselves on the floor, flail, you know, flail their arms around and start screaming until you give them what they want Uh, and as a parent it's it's very embarrassing and it is incredibly exasperating because if you give in to their demands it will probably just make it worse right Uh, and they will learn to be profoundly self-centered they will learn that you are your whole relationship with them is about just giving them every need you could, they could possibly want, uh, and they, you'll just fuel their self-centeredness. Now, the people of Israel were like petulant toddlers. And so often we are like that too, aren't we? Demanding stuff from God and kind of throwing a tantrum when we don't get what we want. But Jesus was so different. Now listen to how it's expressed in Hebrews. Uh, This is Hebrews chapter 5 this time. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now there's a big difference between this and the and the demanding toddler, right? So the immature toddler thinks that if I throw a tantrum, I'll get what I want from my parents. Whereas what Jesus is doing is he, he's persistently, passionately asking God for things, but he does it with reverent submission. So it's very different, right? Same thing, asking God for things, but Jesus does it not as an ultimatum. You do this or I'll throw a tantrum. Uh, it, but it's, it's, it's respectfully uh, th- casting his cares on God, but also adding that phrase, but not my will, but your will be done. Uh, just this beautiful, reverent submission. So have a look at what else it says. Hey, look at the outcome, verse 8. Son though he was, Jesus learned obedience. That is amazing, isn't it? Uh, Sometimes we sort of grow Jesus up too quickly. But Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I just find that incredible, that Jesus learned obedience through the loving discipline and training of his heavenly father and we need to learn obedience too so hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 endure hardship as discipline god is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father no discipline seems pleasant at the time you're right about that Right. it's painful but later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it right. discipline is a good thing it doesn't feel good but it produces good outcomes have you heard of this um this phrase the helicopter parent um, the helicopter parent is the parent who you know hovers over their child wherever their child goes Uh, and whenever anything unpleasant might happen to my child then I'll kind of swoop down deal with the situation come back out because I don't want my child to have any discomfort anything unpleasant happen to them I don't want them to feel the consequences of anything they do so I'll come and swoop in and rescue them God Is not a helicopter parent and thank God for that Uh, because God does not want his children to be petulant self-centered toddlers for all our lives Um, he he doesn't want us to fall apart every time something goes wrong he wants us to grow up to become strong resilient uh, mature That's what he wants from us and that is a good thing and it's just what we see with the Lord Jesus. So I want to come back to the temptations I put up earlier, Uh, the top temptations uh, people struggle with. And, you know, that list is okay, you know, and it's worth reflecting on. But there's a problem with that list and that is all those things are just symptoms Uh, They're just symptoms and statistics, but they don't don't take us to the heart of the problem. And what what Luke 4 does is it takes us to the heart of temptation, and that is, what is it about God I have forgotten? So when I'm tempted to go go into sin, I've got to ask myself the question, what is it about God that I've forgotten have I forgotten his fatherly care for me when I find myself grumbling have I forgotten that God loves me do I need to look again at the cross of Jesus that Jesus died while I was still a sinner Uh, that such an an unbelievable demonstration of his love Uh, so if God is for me, who can be against me? And I need to remind myself when I'm tempted to grumble that God is for me and he will work in all situations for my good. I just need to trust him in it. When I feel, find myself feeling anxious, am I forgetting God's promises? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When I find myself tempted by pornography or envy or lying, can I trust God that his way is best, that he has my best interests at heart? Or have I started to believe the devil's lies that I'm somehow better off turning my back on God? Because that is such uh, such short-term thinking, isn't it? It might feel like a way out, but it actually will lead me into a worse and worse hole. Uh, And it'll just make things worse, following the lies of Satan. So I want to finish up with two points. Firstly, Jesus is our saviour. From the time of Adam and Eve, the pattern of humanity has been to give in to Satan's temptations. Every one of us is in that boat. We've all caved in, and, you know, we do it on a daily basis. But along comes Jesus, and he stands firm. He resists, not just for a day, not just for 40 days, but for a lifetime. He, succeed, he succeeds where we fail, and because of that, he now is qualified to save us from our failures, He's qualified to bring us forgiveness. Uh, he's qualified to give us the things we need in the midst of our weakness and our temptation. So let's trust Him and pray to Him. But the final thing I want to say is Jesus is also our role model. He is the Son of God, like we are children of God, if we trust in Him. And he shows what it means to live as children of God, what it means to to resist the temptations of Satan. The way he fed on God's word. Let let us feed on God's word so that it's on our hearts and on our lips. The way he trusted God's goodness. The way he held allegiance to his father, even on the way to the cross. Uh, Will you pray with me, I'm going to lead us in prayer God our Father we are sorry that we so quickly cave into temptation uh, that we so quickly forget your fatherly care and goodness, that so quickly we believe the lies of Satan rather than trusting you and obeying you. Uh, We are sorry. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus, that he remained faithful, that he was the obedient, that he is the obedient son of God. Father, thank you that his faithfulness deals with our failure, uh, that his victory brings blessing to us, And so, Father, we pray through your Son that you will forgive us for our failures, Uh, forgive us for our immaturity, for when we demand, uh, for when we grumble, for when we fall into sin. And, Father, please keep your word and your promises on our hearts and on our lips. Strengthen us and please give us the wisdom to see hardship as your training and discipline. You don't intend to crush us, but you want to grow us and help us to entrust ourselves into your fatherly care like your beautiful, obedient son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.